Hi, everyone. Welcome to Six Figure Authors, the show that helps you take your writing career to the next level. I'm Andrea Pearson, and I'm here with my two co-hosts. I'm Joe Lalo. I'm Lindsay Baroker. And this week, we're going to, we're, we've got a kind of a two-parter show. The first little bit, we're going to be giving our own book launch checklists. So basically stuff that we do when we are preparing for a new launch, such as download bonuses, book covers, editing, newsletter, and social media announcements, and other things that help us stay focused and get the ball rolling for our new releases. And then after that, we're going to hopefully finish all of our questions. I know we've got a bunch, but hopefully finish all of your questions on Amazon KDP Select and Kindle Unlimited versus going wide into all the bookstores. And um, I know Lindsay has any, something to share. Joe, did you want to say anything before Lindsay shares her thing? Mm, just, I started the second book of my new epic fantasy and I'm on some tight deadlines. That's about it. Yeah, I don't have, really have news per se, but I just thought it might be useful to hear us that we also have difficult times, even those uh, we've written, I don't know how many books now, 70, 80, something like that. And it's funny because right after we did that episode on like productivity, I think it was in January. And I was like, yeah, you know, it's pretty easy right now. I, I just do my outline then I write my first draft and then I do an editing pass and that's about it. <laughs> you know? and so naturally now I've had two books in a row where it's been like, yeah, I'm going to have to do some more editing after the editing pass, you know, and just, it's been the first epic fantasy novel. And then the light fun novel that was supposed to be easy and a break uh, that's uh, set in my star kingdom universe it, it ended up being a hundred thousand words it was supposed to be like 80 and you know it just ended up needing a whole extra pass after the beta readers had it they were like mm, kind of underwhelming characters for you Lindsay. maybe these are a little flat and you can do better i was like yeah i feel like that too it, that's the worst part i was telling joe before we hit record is like not that somebody doesn't like your story but that you're like, you agree with the reasons they didn't like it. You know, like if somebody doesn't like it and you totally disagree in your heart, you're like, oh no, I nailed that. That was awesome. That's one thing. But when other people are like, yeah, you can do better. So anyway, I've spent, I don't know, I've, I've released one novel this year that I wrote, I think early January, but uh, we're going into April and I, that's all I released. So I have two that will be coming. Uh, the, the first epic fantasy is ready to go. I've got my narrator recording the audiobook, so I'm kind of holding it back for that. But just thought it might be fun or, <laughs> or I don't know, encouraging to know that it's not always easy to. Um, I don't know. I'm going to ask you guys before we jump in because do you ever pick things where you know going into it, this is going to be really, it's, or just hard, and you could probably make more money and get more books out if you did the easy thing and you pick the hard thing anyway? <laughs> do you guys, are you? You must do that too. Yeah, it's called fantasy versus romance. <laughs> I'm like, well, for me, it's epic fantasy versus like last year I did the urban fantasy that was just first person narration. So they were really easy to write. They came up, I mean, not that they all were completely easy, but compared to stories with multiple POVs, quite a few POVs, it's like, why did I have this idea that wouldn't let go and I wanted to do it? <laughs> Uh, I, I do this all the time and I have at least two of them banked for a future release that I just have never slotted in. Like I had a really hard time doing it. I got to the end and I'm like, let me hold on to this one. So all I did was, was, was slow myself down. That's funny. I, I like, I had the same, well, kind of the same. It was, except it was my editor. Like all my readers, I'm, since I switched genres, all my readers were like, this is a great story. And then I said to my editor, she's like, nope, <laughs> she had me do so many edits. <laughs> it's not like I don't know. Like I can look back now and see what stuff sells really well. And I know what was easier to write. And it's just, sometimes you got to do the hard thing. I don't know. Yeah. And it's not like I'm going to make more money because I chose the hard thing. It's not, it's the opposite because it takes longer, more work, uh, you know, 
so anyway, anybody else, if you're struggling with that, hey, let us know. But um, go ahead. Well, I guess let's go on to the main topic. Well, I was going to say um, I, my struggle this week was we've had so many interruptions over the last couple of weeks that I, I went to the hotel um, Monday and it took me probably five hours to get back into writing the current book. And that's like the longest it's ever taken me ever because it usually takes, you know, 45 minutes, but it took me like half the day. And then I had to stop um, writing because my, I had to check out the hotel, right? They make you leave after a while. And so, yeah, so I have like probably 2000 words left on that book. And I'm like, ah, it's just driving me nuts. But I was telling Joe and Lindsay, I'm not feeling great right now. So um, yeah, I don't know. My brain's not there for writing, but we're going to go ahead and go on to <laughs> the first topic of our podcast episode today. And that is uh, book launch checklists. And the first thing we're going to discuss is leading up to the launch. So things that we personally have set in place and the timelines we follow and making sure our ducks in a row. And Joe, I believe you are first. Yep. All right. So uh, I'm going to start with these things should be obvious. There's a couple of ways that I might pick uh, a launch date. And if I decide that I want the release before I even finish the book, like fairly frequently, I'll, I'll decide when I want my books to come out. And therefore, uh, you know, I'll have my launch date already set either before I even started writing or certainly before I'm finished. Um, when that's the case, then I'm, I will be scheduling my edit and my cover to hit my launch date. Other times I will set my launch date after I finished my edit or my cover. So that's two different ways I'm going to, I'm going to have to handle pre-launch, but, um, Assuming you've got the schedule set up correctly and your book is going to be ready at least a week or two before release, uh, this is what my launch looks like. And I, I'm, I will say, if you listen to the show, you know this, I don't tend to go nuts with my launches. In fact, I have two different levels of launch, and both of them are pretty light. Uh, I like to scope out launch day promos. I only do one or two promos during launch. Uh, we're talking ENT. There's actually a list that David Gogren made of like, good uh, promo sites and I will just go through and pick ones that are appropriate to my situation. Keeping in mind that it's a little bit harder to do a launch day promo because you don't have proven anything about that book. So occasionally the goal would be if it was later in the series, like this is a book two, book three, then I'm actually booking a promo on the first book in the series so that I can then, you know, actually get one. Um, I also do a cover reveal and I set up a pre-order and if I'm being a good, if I'm being intelligent, I will not do the cover reveal until I have a pre-order uh, because having the pre-order link for the cover reveal is a useful way to, you know, start catching people appropriately. Um, but I often just completely lose my, uh, <laughs> I completely lose my, my patience and just excitedly share my cover as soon as I get it. <laughs> so I, I, I don't follow my own rules very often. Uh, so I, I announce the pre-order on social media and the newsletter as soon as I do it. If it's a long pre-order, then I will do another announcement. Like I say long, like more than say two months or more than a month, probably. Uh, then I'll do a second announcement of the pre-order a week before release. Or really what I'm doing is announcing that the book will be releasing in a week, but I'll have the pre-order link in there. Uh, and then uh, if it's a shorter pre-order, then I don't do that because I don't want to email somebody more than like two weeks between emails is about the minimum I want to do with the exception of the actual launch we'll be hearing about. So if it's a short pre-order, then I don't mention the pre-order and then the one week run up, I wait until the one week run up and just mention it then. Um, I'll also prep and potentially schedule launch day, social media stuff. We're talking Facebook, Twitter, and uh, also my blog uh, up from my actual website. And if I'm really, really being good. 
way back when I set up the pre-order, I'll also set up a Facebook ad and start working the engagement and try to get it so that when the time comes to start pushing the book, I'll have a, uh, an ad with some engagement already on it. Then I can just dump more money into it. And that is my ideal release. All right. So pre, not pre-order, pre-launch stuff. This is kind of the longest section for me. Um, and this is, I'm going to talk about sort of my ideal scenario that what I've done with some of my series, but not all of them. And this is, I tend to only do this on a book one to launch a new series or ideally a rapid release of books one, two, and three. I've done that the last few years for the last few series. And that's worked really well for me. Um, so I don't put nearly as much time in advertising money into like a one-off book or, or later books and series. I usually just kind of announce them to my newsletter and social medias. And that's about it. Maybe while running promos on the first book, but I just don't have enough. I don't have the mojo to do all this more than once a year. And since I write a lot, that's usually, I usually do at least a series a year. Um, so I tend to be, and I, I tend to be extra motivated to try not to suck when I'm <laughs> delving into a new genre. So like I did quite a bit last year for my urban fantasy series. I did a lot when I started launched into sci-fi with a space opera series uh, a few years ago. Cause I'm, I just don't want to, I mean, with all series, I don't want to assume that all of my regular readers are going to follow me over to something new, but it becomes even more of a question mark when you're jumping genres. But so the first thing I'm doing is, um, kind of like reserving my cover artist people and my editing dates, probably for the first several books. This is before or while I start writing the first book in the series. Uh, often while just getting the idea and kind of finishing up the last series, uh, at some point I will scope out the top 100 lists on Amazon to get a feel for what's selling kind of in the genre or genres I may be sticking mine into. Even if my story idea isn't very to market, which is very rare, I'll at least try to get the covers in the ballpark of what seems to be selling well and like kind of hot in the, the closest genre I'm in, right? Um, so when I'm smart, I'll try to nudge the blurb in that direction too. Like you still have to be authentic to the story, but sometimes you're like, oh, that thing is really in a lot of the blurbs that are popular right now. So it, assassins, I, I don't know, let's talk up the assassin that's in my story. Uh, I don't always do this. I sometimes I just can't. Uh, you can see my Star Kingdom book one cover, uh, Shockwave. It is, it's very much a typical space opera cover and it's not at all. <laughs> space opera blurb. So sometimes it's just the story is so different that it's kind of hard to twist it and, you know, put it into the marketing box. And you just have to do the best with what, what you've got for those of us who don't really write to market. Um, kind of during this time period too, I will mull over and try to write like a prequel novella, uh, often about a non POV character, or, uh, if not a novella, some other kind of appealing bonus that will entice people to sign up to my newsletter. I'm ideally thinking about that before I publish, you know, before I have the first books ready to go is because I've seen how powerful that is. The, the non POV characters, like the mysterious guy that bat, he starts out as the bad guy, but he becomes a love interest by book seven, right? But, uh, those uh, have always been really popular for me as far as getting the most readers to go after they read the book, then go sign up for the newsletter. And it doesn't have to be a prequel. Um, I had a ton of people sign up for my newsletter with the Death Before Dragon series, which, uh, as I said before, th that one was all in first person. Um, but I promised a bunch of scenes from like the first three books that were from the non-POV enemy slash future love interest eyes, the dragon, uh, who can turn into human. Nothing stra too strange there guys but um i've also done second epilogues and so all this 
my bonuses are always designed to get people who read book one onto the list. Um, and that's so that it's easier to launch every other following book in the series. Hopefully at that point you've they've loved book one, they've wanted the bonus, they're on the newsletter. Hopefully they want to read all the other books. So I don't usually do much with cover reveals or a lot of tidbits on social media for the first book in a new series. Uh, I could be wrong, but I just assume people don't care that much when it's about characters they don't know. I, I throw some stuff out there, but I absolutely do tons of like, here's the cover, here are snippets of the book I'm working on for later books in the series, kind of to keep the readers, you know, that follow me on social media excited in, until that next book comes out. Um, even though I publish pretty often, like it's nice uh, if you're on Facebook, let's say uh, that's sort of my big one and people actually interact with you pretty regularly there. They actually do see your messages or, or a lot of them. So that's encouraging. So if you put stuff up there that they're going to interact with, like thumbs up for some dialogue, some like witty banter or something, um, that's a good idea. But um, like I said, I that's usually more for keeping them excited for later books in the series. Early on, I will also mull over, like as I'm writing these first books, the pricing thing. Um, that's kind of what I'm considering right now. Like when I'm rapid releasing, I almost always do book one at 99 cents for the launch, uh, knowing that I'll have like book two, book three coming along at full price. So it's, I'm not necessarily losing money because I'm already earning the money on the, the next couple books. And the reason I like to do this is in part because you know, it's easier to get people to buy something for 99 cents than 3.99 or 4.99. But also I know later on, I'm going to run promos on the books and I feel like kind of a dick, honestly, launching something at full price. And then three months later, <laughs> dropping the price to 99 cents. So if I launch it at 99 cents and I drop it to 99 cents later, you know, that it's just like, well, everybody's getting a bargain. We all got the same bargain, you know, and then it's usually like a year later before I drop something to free. So, and I feel like 99 cents free and nobody's feeling too cheated on that. So, uh, I, I am considering since I'm not really doing a rapid release with the Epic Fantasy series, I've been sitting here kind of debating because whatever I put out is going to be a couple, three, four, probably like two or three months before book two comes out. So, um, you know, I can afford to like lose money on book one anyway. It is 150 some thousand words. So, page reads may kind of help it float along at, at a pretty, pretty decent income, but we shall see. I'm still undecided on this. Um, so I'm also have, a another books. I'm sci-fi books. I'm doing this year. I think I'm going to be doing a duology and then another trilogy, maybe not all this year, but, uh, so I'm kind of trying to figure out that pricing too, because if you do really want to do a lower price, if there's only going to be two books for a duology. So think, things to think about while you're planning your launch. Um, these, I should say a lot of this is Amazon centric since I have been launching exclusive with Amazon and then going wide later. So for pre-orders, I do a short pre-order on Amazon. I've done longer ones and had things get hosed up by, I just by, you know, it's a little harder to get things going when you've kind of got a past history of the book, not selling as many copies. And then you suddenly try to ramp it up for the launch. Also, I've kind of had things get hosed up, like my carefully laid plans to try to stagger all the announcements and things in the first week or two so that there's not a big spike in sales on one day. Uh, Cause we've talked about that, right? The book bub effect where Amazon kind of squashes down anything it reads is like an artificial inflation of uh, sales data or sales over just one day. So I try to spread things out on the launch. And so it's really hard to 
keep that all momentum going for pre-order, especially if when Amazon randomly sends out alerts to followers, which I don't even know if they're doing right now. It's They used to do it pretty regularly, and I actually appreciated that because you would get people following you there that wouldn't necessarily sign up for your newsletter. And But I would get like three weeks before the launch, randomly like 900 sales. And I'm like, what happened? Oh, Amazon sent out the, the pre-order announcement. And then you're like, oh man, because you're going to have that big drop off until you're then ready for the launch day. So I try to keep the pre-orders on Amazon to two weeks or less now. The main reason I do one at all is to, this is for a book one, keep in mind, like I will definitely do long pre-orders on later books and series where I'm not care. I don't care about the ranking. Like who cares what book five ranks in the store or how long it sticks in the top 100. Um, but I try to do it for at least two weeks to, so I can tell ACX if I'm doing an audiobook that you need to have the link so that they will say, okay, you can start the audiobook and upload the files. Uh, and also it's easier to book promos at the sites that accept new releases if, if you have a link. I've done it before by sending them the Goodreads link. That is one way to do have a longer pre-order without actually putting the book up on Amazon. But then you do have to remember to like, once you do put it on Amazon, say, oh, hey guys, here's an update. Here's the link. For a wide book, I will. I did one a couple of years ago. I just finished my Chains of Honor series, which is always wide. So I put three and four on pre-order. I got the cover as early as I could. I did a long pre-order in the other stores. They, you know, Amazon allows you to do long pre-orders, but like I said, it gets a little fuzzy with um, the sales rank and everything being calculated in during the pre-orders. On the other stores, it seems to help if you get a bunch uh, with the release. So that's why I do the longer pre-orders in the other stores. Um, newsletter swaps. I don't, I'm not doing these anymore just because it's so much work for me replying to the replies to my newsletter that I just don't want it. Even <laughs> if I'm not going to make money, I don't really want to send a newsletter. Uh, that's not entirely true. Cause sometimes I just get this wild urge to, we talked about making things hard. You know, I'm like, I'm going to do a Valentine's day story and put it on my site. I'm going to do a Christmas story and put it on my site and just send out the newsletter and have it be something nice for the, the readers. But in general, I don't do newsletter swaps because it's extra work and they do help. I don't want to say they don't want help. They don't help. But, um, so I've, I have done them in the past and this would be something I arranged during the pre-launch period. Like one thing I did with my, I think it was my star kingdom series. I went to one of the sci-fi Facebook groups and said, Hey, who wants to, you know, do swaps. You mentioned mine within the first couple of weeks of the release and I'll, I'll plug your whatever, you know, book on sale, or if you're doing a launch and what I did, because I didn't want to send out an email to my readers. We were just like, here's a list of 20 books that <laughs> these people are plugging my book. So I have to plug their book. I, I wrote a, I think this was my robots and roommates story, which I love that short story. So if you want to read something free, <laughs> go check that out out there. I, it was about a 5,000 word prequel story. I cut it into five parts, sent it out to my newsletter over five days, which I never do this, but I, I did it for this. And then I put like three people's books at the bottom. So every day there was a reason for the people to read the newsletter because it had a next part of the story. And it was like a way to plug people's books where they actually had a chance to get traffic to their books. I, I try when I have done newsletter swaps in the past, I never wanted to be like a crappy deal for, for anyone. Like I, hopefully they sell my books to their readers and hopefully I'm selling some of their books to my readers. So that was one way I did it. I will say it was a very eye opening experience. And as far as how many of your emails actually get through to people, cause I got a lot of emails like, Hey, I got parts two and four. Can I have the rest? I'm like, well, maybe they're in your, no, they're, <laughs> they're just missing. I'm like, great. So I ended up putting it in a PDF and ebook later and uh, sharing it out. But I am diverging, almost done here on mine. So 
Uh, a lot of times also when I have that pre-order up on Amazon, I will start running some Amazon ads to it. Not a lot. I don't want to spend a lot of money during the pre-order period because uh, they don't convert as well. Honestly, a lot of people are like, oh, that's just a pre-order. And the KU people can't check it out at that point either. So you lose all the KU people that maybe clicked on it. Um, so I found those don't convert as well as sales, but you can kind of figure out by how many clicks you're getting, uh, you know, like, and the impressions and you, you know how it is if you've run Amazon ads, some, some of them just kind of take off and do well. Amazon shows them a lot. They get a lot of clicks and other ones never seem to really get off their feet. So if you can figure that out in sort of the week or two before you're actually doing your launch, then when launch day comes, you just cut the ones that were no good. And then maybe you throw more money, like raise the, how much you're going to spend each day on the ones that maybe you had two that were actually performing well. So that is something I will do with a new series. Um, I also book ads on the sponsorship sites. There aren't that many anymore that seem to really deliver well. So I think we've covered them several times. I, if I can get like book barbarian as a sci-fi and fantasy person and um, new in books, I think is free booksy, book bargain booksy is all the same company there's a few of them you can do and i once paid for the bookbub new release announcement for pre-order and you know they do it when you have the pre-order up and i'm not sure it was particularly did anything notable so i usually just go in there and claim the book and at this point they're still sending out a, a new release on the day all right oh sorry guys <laughs> moving on to andrea that was good information though. So, okay. So, um, I don't have necessarily like a, a bullet point, like thing that I do every single time, but I'm just going to give, you know, well, actually there is, I, I talk about what I do every single time. Okay. So I'm, I start off by talking about the book I'm writing in every single email. So, and it's not like a huge mention. It's just, Hey, you know, I, I put in some extra words into such and such title. And then when it's up for pre-order, I give a link to it in every email and I don't push it uh, when it first goes up to pre for pre-order, I, unless I'm doing a really big push, but, um, that's a different thing. Um, but I talk about it just enough just so that readers, um, recognize the titles. They know what I'm working on. And I, I don't make a big deal of it until I'm ready for people to pre-order or download. And usually that doesn't happen until I know I have my ads set up correctly. So I don't get any skewed data because I like to have as clean data as possible. Um, and like Lindsay found, it's impossible for us to predict when readers are going to find out about our pre-orders. And so I've just been, I just casually mention it so they don't feel like it's like Amazon's like, ah, oh, rush, you know, which is exciting. I wish they would do it again. But, um, so then when I'm ready to make a big deal of it, I have it be front and center with eye-catching graphics and fonts, colors, sizes, et cetera. And when I'm announcing a pre-order, I try to include enthusiastic one-liners from readers who've already read it. Um, that's not always possible though, depending on how far out it is. Like if I only have like 10 days for until the book gets launched or two weeks, I almost never have those kinds of blurbs right away. Um, I like mentioning the book regularly because with me releasing only a few books a year, it helps my readers remember when I'm working on what the title is. Um, and with the exception of shadow profit, they always download and they'll tag me in asking when book titles coming out or how my writing on book title is going. Uh, shadow profit is kind of an exception to my entire business and all of my experience. Um, anyways, but I'm, I'm, I'm working on that. I'll update on that later. I'm not, I'm tired of talking about shadow, shadow profit. And I think our listeners are too. <laughs> so anyway, um, if I'm doing the book covers myself, I'll usually create the first one before I even start writing the book or sometime during the writing, almost always before I start writing. Uh, at some point, I'm not able to finish writing the book until I have the cover ready and a title. I almost never can write a book unless I have an actual title. 
for the current series, I've only got one full length novel finished. Um, the re I have the reader magnet finished and I, I'm, like I said earlier, I've got two, 3000 words left on the current book, uh, which is the second book in the series, but I've already got five book covers for the series finished. Um, just they're fun that, you know, I, I love doing book covers. It's great to be able to explore other areas when I need a break from writing. Um, anyway, so the biggest thing I work towards for launch day, especially of a new series is reviews. So my goal is always between 500 and, and 500, between 500 and thousand reviews on day one, <laughs> between 50 and a hundred reviews on day one. I don't always make it, but if I don't try, I always fail. <laughs> because my readers don't generally, um, post reviews. Sometimes they do, but anyway, so the price, um, first book in a series, I'm al almost always launched at 99 cents. The shade amulet is the only exception I've made. I launched that one at full price and it went really well, but I had a company helping with that launch and it was a ton of work for both of us. And I'm not always able to do that. And so I launched at 99 cents. It's easier to get people to download at that price point than at full price is, especially a new book in a series. Um, I don't usually recommend launching it free unless getting reviews is a problem. And possibly if you already have book two ready to go, but you will be more likely to get reviews if you do launch it free and you target the correct readers and then you won't get negative as many negative reviews or any anyway. Um, I told you guys, I'm not feeling well. I, this is like an extension of last week where the words just weird in my brain. Okay. So the week or two leading up to the launch is usually when I really ramp things up. I make sure the book is front and center in my emails and I, you know, I like big information and I do shorter emails with that being the main point of the email. I only do this when I have a pre-order though. And when the book is coming out soon, uh, because in my experience, like you don't want to talk too much about books that are coming out and really devote a lot of your time to them unless you, it's coming out soon and you have something for them to do about it. Um, readers are impatient. They don't want to be pushed hard out unless they can actually go and download or pre-order and they know it's coming out here like soon. And then also during this period, I make sure my ads are working. So, uh, I don't necessarily, even if the book's not published, I still test the book cover by posting it in a, you know, in a Facebook ad and then seeing how many people click versus maybe another book cover in, in the same genre or another book cover that I've done. And that's pretty much what I do. I've, I'm changing genres. And so I don't know how things are going to be different this time around. I'm kind of floundering a bit because I don't know how, I don't have any data to see how readers will respond. And so this, this new book launch, I'm not going to make a big deal out of it. I'm just going to see what happens. I'll run a few newsletter, um, newsletter swaps. I'll, um, work on getting reviews, but other than that, I'm just going to just see how it goes. Cause I kind of feel like I'm a new author again, which is, you guys know, it's kind of a scary feeling when you're like starting in a new genre. Anyway, and I don't want to devote a whole ton of time to it if it's going to flop. <laughs> so anyway, um, that's it for talking about what we're doing leading up to the launch. Now we're going to discuss things that we do on the day of the launch or maybe the week of the launch. All right. So uh, honestly, launch day, like the, just the, the actual launch is pretty small for me, uh, compared to the pre launch, because if, you know, you, if you were paying attention, I talk about scheduling things a lot during that stage. So on the actual launch day, uh, I'll do a social media hit, which is again, Twitter and Facebook on Facebook. I will do a boosted post usually just like 20 bucks, just to make sure that the folks who actually care, get a chance to see it. There will always be a launch day newsletter. Um, and this therefore will be the second newsletter people have gotten at least that have mentioned this book, both of which had links. So this tends to gather a whole lot more people because most people are more interested in getting the book when it's out rather than pre-order. Uh, 
Uh, I will do the blog post, which again has probably been written probably, you know, a week or two in advance and it just shows up today. Uh, and if I set it up, I will boost the ad spend to the Facebook ad that I was nurturing along the way. Uh, I have not done this in a while. My, my, uh, my Facebook chops have, have decreased a bit. But again, if I started it and it seemed like it was, it was doing well, then I'll just boost the money on it. And I'll usually only boost that money for a day or two. Um, fairly frequently, I'll space out all of these little steps. Uh, and this will, of course, include the, the, any of the promos that I set up will be happening during this period. I'll try to space them out over the course of a week or so to make for a smoother, more consistent, um, you know, sales, uh, curve, but all on day one happens sometimes just because, you know, I might not be able to be there to keep an eye on things that week. I have had books launch when I was not able to control the launch. Um, and also, I, uh, when I talk about spacing these things out, if I am deciding that I'm going to try to make for a, a consistent launch week, my newsletter will actually be a week after the book's release. It will be, or it will be like the Friday after the book's release because the newsletter tends to be a pretty big spike for me. And if I'm trying to end with strength, then that means the newsletter comes up late, which makes it even more important for me to have that one week early newsletter where I talk about the book because that way I'm not sort of, screwing over my own fans who were waiting for the announcement. They know already. And ideally the super fans already bought the, the pre-order. So yeah, that's how I handle a, a launch. Right. I kind of the same way. I don't do a launch day, anything launch day specific. It's more like launch week or, you know, I ideally two weeks, but it's more like a week. It is hard. The newsletter is the biggest, probably the biggest bang you're going to get once you're farther along and you have a pretty good size of newsletter. Um, so, you know, I, I do try to stagger it as much as possible with it within that so that there's not a whole bunch of sales, uh, especially on Amazon in one day. We are, I talk about the book bub style spike and wanting to avoid that. So I usually, I don't know, my day for releases is usually a Thursday and I'll announce it on my social media sites, then um, hit up the newsletter on Friday or Saturday. And I, I thought about trying to figure out how to stagger the newsletter to send so it doesn't send to everybody on one day. So it's like over two or three days, but I haven't looked into how to do that yet. Um, I'm not sure I would ever get around to it, but I've had the thought if that counts. <laughs> so if you're really serious about it, that could be something to consider. Um, in general, I'm not huge on Facebook ads. I don't do a lot of them, but I will do them for the launch of a new series. Uh, especially if I'm doing something at 99 cents, I just, I find I can get them to convert. Uh, maybe it's sci-fi fantasy more than I've heard romance does really well on Facebook. I don't know how sci-fi fantasy people do. I've, I seem to do well with 99 cent box sets. Like those are like, yeah, let's get those. Um, so that can be great, but that's not usually what you're going to be launching a new series with. Um, and I'm, I'm not skilled at Facebook ads. I always try. I try book, 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 book too. I'll give it a shot. I try different things each time I launch a new series, but, um, I have, I've done okay with Facebook, but not so much that I've always got campaigns going or worry about them. And, it, you know, the fact that people can comment on them, I don't know why, but that annoys me because <laughs> you always get like idiots, you know, you'll have like good comments from your fans, but the randos on the internet that you just targeted them because they share some interests that might be close to your book, you know, you always get some dum-dums. Um, so I mentioned that I start at Amazon ads often during the pre-order. 
I'll ratchet things up and try to get them really going. Cause it does seem to take a couple of days for Amazon ads to really get rolling. And if you didn't figure out ahead of time, which ones kind of work, it may take even longer than that while you figure, you know, to some extent, bidding more is not always the answer. It's probably rarely the answer, like beyond a point they have to convert. Well, uh, Amazon has to be making money on them. On, they have to, people have to click them and make them money. Uh, it doesn't, I don't know if it necessarily has to convert to book sales, but they have to get clicks for uh, Amazon wants to, uh, sh- continue showing them. So that's all across the first book, uh, week or two. Um, as I said, I try to book some sponsorship sites to, you know, mention the book during that first week or two. Um, I tried to book bub PPC ads. When I did newsletter swaps, that would, that's actually the easiest way to like get somebody announcing your book. Uh, you know, over a couple of weeks and kind of having some control over it. Uh, you know, you can arrange those in the various genre Facebook groups. Um, the only thing is that once your newsletter gets pretty big, it's going to be a pretty small blip from other people mentioning your book, unless you have some rock star that's, uh, <laughs> that's actually read your book. And pl- that's the only thing they plug in their newsletter that day. Uh, we all would wish that to happen. I'm sure. Um, but I think that's about all I do. I, didn't mention a review crew in my pre-launch stuff because I just don't do that anymore. It's not that it's not a good idea. It's just a lot of work. And I usually do okay just asking for reviews at the end of the book. I'll often do that uh, on the release of a new book. And then later I'll change the back matter after the book's been out for a few weeks to something else. Like if I have at that point, my newsletter thing is ready and it wasn't ready before, or if the next book is ready and it, I didn't have it up on pre-order before. So that's, I think one of our questions maybe, or maybe it was last week, you know, what should I put? in my back matter is I realize that you can probably only ask for one thing because once people click away from the book, they're probably never going to open it again. And it should be whatever's most important to you at that time. And you can change it later. All right. I'll pass it to Andrea. So launch week is like my favorite week ever. Um, if I'm doing a, like if I'm doing a focus launch that has download bonuses and that's usually going to be later books in the series, sometimes it will be a first book in the series, but it's almost always later books in the series because then I can do a huge promotion on the first book. Um, so when I'm launching a later book in a series, like I said, I'll do a huge promotion on the first book. And this can work if you are starting a new series. Uh, but so I'll do Facebook ads. I funnel several hundred dollars into Facebook ads after I make sure that those ads are working. I don't increase the, and then I don't increase the spend on them. I will duplicate them several times. And so I'll have several ads that are running at $5 a day or maybe $10 a day. And then I do newsletter swaps. Um, I try to space those out like one or two a day instead of all of them on the same day. Um, and then my announcement emails back when I was using MailChimp, um, I would send to the one and start one, two star subscribers on the first day, which is actually the second day. I'll get into that in just a bit. Then I would send to the three stars the next day, the four stars, the next days and the. F- okay. I think Andrea, froze. there you are. Can okay. You go ahead. Me? Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> You're back. I know. I was like, uh, my internet. Okay. What did you guys hear last? Oh, you thought we were listening to you? <laughs> one and two, star, <laughs> one and two star subscribers. <laughs> That's really funny, Lindsay. Um, okay, so the one and two star subscribers get an email not the first day of my book launch, but the second day, and then the three stars come the next day, then the four stars the day after that, and then the five stars on the last day, and that helps me get a more natural swing up. And um, I haven't done a launch through MailJet yet because I haven't launched a book since I switched to MailJet. So I'm not sure how this is going to work, but I'll figure it out. You know, I might just have to change my, my system. 
Um, let's see, I sent two emails to my reviewers from my street team, one the morning of the very first day the book is launched, and then one the evening the very first day the book is launched. And that's so that I have reviews up so that when I start emailing my list and start really hitting things hard, hard on the second day of the launch, then they have some social proof. So, and like I said, the book gets launched the day before I start announcing. So I can get those reviews up. And then I almost always have download bonuses arranged. Um, when I say almost always, it's usually like on the last book in a series or like the fourth book of a series. And then I'll do a huge, huge promotion on book one. And, um, I don't do big promotions. I don't do big launches. I don't do download bonuses every time I have a new release just because I don't want to, um, it's just too much work and readers get burned out. Honestly, if you do huge launches like that all the time, your readers are going to get burned out unless you're only launching once or twice a year. Anyway. So with this new genre, I probably am not going to be do actually, I'm, I know I'm not going to be doing download bonuses this time around because I don't yet have like, I can't, I have a newsletter list that's for this genre, but it's like, I don't know how they'll react to download bonuses. So I don't know which ones to even set up. And then also it's just a little too complicated for me right now. I don't want to deal with having to reach out to authors. If I include their books, I don't want to write something to include as a download bonus anyway. So then after I'm done with, um, all of this, I turn my focus to writing the next book and, um, just basically monitor to see how that launch week went and decide what to do in the future and what not to do in the future. Okay. So we're going to go ahead and talk about post-launch. Uh, anything that we do here for us. And I don't know that we have a whole ton, but I know Joe, Joe has some stuff. So go ahead. My, uh, my follow through on post launch is probably my, uh, my weakest, uh, not a whole lot gets done. Ideally, most of the big launch stuff has been prepped and scheduled in the weeks and months before, but, uh, uh, I will send a follow up newsletter, uh, one week after launch day. Uh, I have found that enormous number of people who don't pick it up until that second email. Uh, just as Lindsay was saying earlier, it's surprising how many people who are even faithful newsletter openers, uh, would just miss a newsletter. Either they just don't notice that it came in or they, it just didn't arrive or it got spammed. So a second email I found to be very useful. Uh, I make sure that all the book promo has happened. I've never had a promo site, uh, take my money and not promo my book, but I, I'm, fastidious enough to make sure that I, the, the promo occurred. Uh, if I'm good, I will have a couple of uh, ads running low and slow in the background that uh, just to sort of keep some amount of traffic going either to that book or to the first in series, if it's not the first in series. And once I have enough reviews, I will sometimes do a second promo blast sometime after the one month mark just to you know, I, now that I've got enough reviews to get onto the ones that require reviews uh, or that simply won't take pre-orders or new releases. So uh, I don't do that very often, but if I feel like it's going to have a financial impact, if I feel like the sales are strong enough that I could boost them more, uh, then I'll, I'll throw in a second sort of promo period. Often I will use that as the opportunity to also announce the second book or the third book or, you know, whatever the next book is, that will be coinciding with that, with that promo blast. But again, not a tremendous amount of the post launch. I just let momentum carry me once, once the book's out. Uh, sending another news, a follow-up newsletter is a really good idea. I don't, usually do <laughs> just because when I'm doing the rapid release, there's going to be another newsletter coming out to announce the release of the next book soon anyway, but it's definitely a good idea. Like we were saying, it, you'll be surprised how many people were like, Oh, I totally didn't get the other newsletter and know that you had a new book out. 
Um, I, for me, for, so I didn't mention before, but I will generally spend the most money on advertising kind of in that two, three week window after the launch. Like I'm trying the hardest. I'll spend the most, uh, I'll bid the highest on my key, you know, on keywords or categories. I think it book is a good match for during that time to try to do everything I can in the hope that Amazon will kind of start, you know, to get in enough also bots that will maybe get on some of the lists and Amazon will, I'll get some organic, uh, discovery by new readers during that time. That's always sort of the goal. It usually happens more for other people <laughs> than for me. Like, I feel like I have <clears throat> just the career I have just because I'm prolific and I have some been lucky enough to kind of attract other sort of quirky <laughs> people like me. I don't know that I'll ever have like a mass market hit, but um, I try to, every time I release a new series, I'm like, you never know, this could be the one. It'll just, it'll stick. It'll do amazing. It'll be the top two. And I have had some that stuck like above in the top 200, you know, for several weeks. And that's always really cool. And that's when it's nice to have the next books coming right after for the people who... <clears throat> will buy more if they're available, like especially the KU people, um, but who wouldn't necessarily be a big enough fan to like sign up for your newsletter and all that, or they just don't new, do newsletters. So I will take my biggest shot at that point and spend the most. And I usually taper it back after that, uh, you know, unless, unless for some reason it's, it's just doing so well, which, you know, rarely happens with Amazon ads. You're almost always losing money. So, uh, I mean, you are like a, with, a, with a 99 cent book, let's say maybe if you release it a full price book, you can make it work. Like I was able to make last year, my, um, death before dragons, the first book work at two ninety nine. Like I was making more, not, you know, on my kind of maintenance ads. So I let those keep running afterwards, but that two to three weeks there is where I try the hardest and, and I'm willing to spend the most. Cause Hey, you never know. And one other thing I didn't mention on the, um, earlier ones that can be really helpful is if you are at the point where you have multiple series out, it can be great if you do like a, if you, if you can get a book bub, that's always great. Or just do a big promo, you know, stack a promo, stack promo with a bunch of sponsorships from uh, other sites for your older series, like run book one for free or 99 cents or whatever seems right to you. And like, I had, I think the best launch I've ever had was my heritage of power series. And I w it was doing pretty good anyway. And then I had a book bub on the dragon blood series, which is the tie in series basically for the first book in the series. And I got like a huge boost, uh, in downloads and, you know, sales and, and the ranking and everything for a couple weeks after that on the new series. And I guess it was just, it got a really good boost from people checking that out too. They were like, Oh, Hey, that's free too. Well, or that's 99 cent too. So we'll get that. So it can be useful to run a big promo sale and promo on a kind of tie in series, or even if it's just in the same genre, uh, whatever you can do during that time to get more people finding your stuff. Um, other than that, I uh, just try to keep things rolling around, rolling along until the next couple books come out. I, I'm usually honestly, by the time launch day comes around, I'm writing the next book, focus on the next book. That's the way I make my money. Like I always, like I said, I always, you never know, something could take off and I've had some occasionally stuff do okay, better than expected, but usually that's not the case. <laughs> I'm just like, all right, it's doing its thing. Time to focus on the next one. Yeah. My, my post launch stuff, it's, I don't know. I, I go right immediately into the next book like that. I don't like, I sometimes take a break, but generally my break happens when my editor has the book. And that's usually long enough for me to, you know, be like, you know what? 
I'm ready to start the next book. Cause then I get into edits with her and it's like exciting. And I'm really excited about the story again. And so then once the book is launched, I start into book the second book immediately. Um, but post launch is when I usually focus on making money on my books and series. And I know this is really backwards for a lot of people, but it's just, it's what's worked for me over the years. Like once I have a book up a series up that has a lot of reviews, that's when I'm usually able to make money on it. And BookBub plays, BookBub features play a role in that sometimes. Uh, but what I'll usually do is I'll schedule a huge promotion either on the new book or on the first book in the series, like I was talking about earlier. And if I do that first book in the series, I'll do it at free and, and the rest of the books either staggered or at full price. And when I do staggered, I'll usually do book two at 99 cents, sometimes three book three at two ninety nine, and then the rest full price. Sometimes I'll do book three at full price as well. And then I line up tons of newsletter swaps, schedule all my own main marketing sites. So like what we've already mentioned, you know, book barbarian and ENT, all of that Robin reads, I'll get a bunch of ads running on Facebook and Amazon. And then I have, I do, the download bonuses. I ask my street team to post about it and volunteers in my regular, my regular newsletter list. And then I'll usually do a giveaway or two. So Kindle, Amazon gift cards, print books, etc. And, um, so if it's not in my specific genre, I only send targeted traffic. So what I mean by in my specific genre, so if it's like a, a Kindle fire, I only send very targeted traffic to it, meaning targeted traffic, people who read that genre. So the people I want to actually have on my newsletter list. And then if possible, I, I will get a bug feature and I schedule everything around that. And I put that under post launch just because uh, I usually do that. I try to schedule, um, releases of previous books. I mean, of later books in a series, uh, around, like a book bub feature or something like that, just so that I can have everything big happen at once. And that's, that's gotten my readers excited. I'm like, the last book in my series is coming out and the first book is free. And then they're like, guys, the last book in the series has come out. You have to come check it out. And the first book is free. And so that's really worked well for me. Um, okay. So we're going to go ahead and go into listener questions for Kindle Unlimited uh, versus excuse me, versus wide. And the first one is from Sarah. She says, is there a way to straddle both successfully? I love being wide, but almost, almost all of my comparable authors are in KU or are, or are trad published. Would it be better to put series in KU a couple of months after publishing wide the last book in the series or book by book? And I am scheduled. I am scheduled to go first. <laughs> okay. So the best time, I would say the best time to take advantage of KU's awesome sauce is when you first release. Uh, that said, my mosaic, mosaic chronicles did really well in KU when I put it there for the first time several years after it was published. So the first book was published in 2014 and none of the books had ever been in there before. And I had 10 books in that series that I put in there all at the end of 2019 and it went really, really well. So that was nice. Um, um, I would say I like, I would hesitate taking a book from wide and putting it in KU, but that's based entirely upon my own lack of experience with making that move. I've never taken something from wide and put it into KU. If you're going to do it, uh, I would recommend doing, making it darn clear to your readers that that move is coming, especially if you're moving an entire series at once. And, um, well, even if you aren't, uh, long time readers who haven't potentially haven't made it all the way through your series and other platforms will be very upset if suddenly they can't because you've taken the books and made them exclusive someplace else. So you're going to want to billboard this a lot, not only because it's a good idea, like any big move again is a chance for promo, but you don't want your diehard readers to be, to be, you know, left out cold. Right. We, you know, I've talked about it before, but it's kind of a crummy thing to pull your books out of the other stores because it annoys the readers. It annoys the retailers. They will admit to this if you talk to them at a conference and give them a beer. <laughs> 
Um, and so I'd go the other way around. Um, but if you are wanting to do it, like you've been, say you've been wide for three years and you're not selling any books, you're like, I want to try this KU thing. What I would maybe do is try to have a new release, uh, to take advantage of like Amazon, maybe possibly giving a little bit of a boost. So, and that might be a box set is probably going to be the most natural thing. So you take a series that's wide box them all up and you go into Kindle Unlimited. I mean, you have to take the whole series. It has to all be in KU, but, um, this stuff that's already published is not going to be a new release, right? It's going to be a four-year-old series or whatever. So, but you can do a new release with a box set and Amazon treats it like a new release. And some of the sites will even let you do like the sponsorship sites. Bookbubble not let you do this, but, um, a lot of sponsorship sites are happy to like treat it like a new release too. So you to hold another chance to kind of launch and promote stuff if you do decide to do it. Uh, Again, we kind of recommend not going in and out. Like it's like it's one thing if you've just been wide and you want to try this, but I wouldn't make it your plan. To, I've seen it where people want to hit a bestseller list, so they release everything wide and they have it out for a week, and the pre-order is out forever, and then they have the book out for a week, and then they yank it all and put it on Amazon and KU. And it's like as your readers that you're gonna irk because you got to imagine that whoever bought it wide is gonna want the next one in the series or is gonna be in the middle of the series, and suddenly they can't get it unless it's on Amazon. And a lot of the people. The people who do not shop on Amazon actively hate and loathe Amazon with all of their hearts. So it's not like, it's just like people, uh, you know, people like are wide and talk about how horrible KU is and that stuff. It's funny because if you decided just to sell direct on your site or just direct through Patreon, nobody would give you any flack. It's like, that's your choice. You can sell your art direct, but if you decide to be exclusive on Kate on Amazon versus exclusive on your own site. It's like really different. So just realize that you're possibly making enemies or at least losing fans and maybe not losing possible love with the retailers that you may want to work with again in the future. All right. The next question is from Amanda who says uh, a lot of the commentary on the advantages of going wide seems to involve having a dedicated representative on the different platforms to help up, help set up campaigns, getting spotlighted, merchandising, et cetera. Is this a key item in being successful wide or are, or, or more of a nice thing to have, but not necessary? Uh, for me, I would say it was key. Uh, my books that got love from merchandisers did far, far better than my books that didn't. As I know that's not the most uplifting thing to hear, but I've almost always had to push a boulder uphill because of how not to market my books are. Um, I've, my books have, they're, they're great, right? I love them, but they have lots of problems. Like the ages of my main characters are way in the middle of the no market land. Um, most of them didn't sell well unless I had some inside help. And I was very, very lucky to have a lot of that inside help. I would say that it's nice, but not necessary. Um, I do find at Apple, that's one of my big ones and I've never had a rep there. I don't have anyone merchandising me at Kobo either. Um, Mark Lefebvre used to give me some love back in the day, but he's not there anymore. Um, I do uh, submit to the promotions every now and then, but they reject me all the time. <laughs> Um, Google play. The only time they email me is about the podcast <laughs> when they have news, they want me to announce on the podcast. I'm like, Hey, maybe could you plug my fiction while you're, <laughs> while you're sending this email? But no, no, they don't do that. Um, Barnes and Noble has given me some boosts, um, and it's very noticeable when they do. So I appreciate that. But, um, I've also gotten boosts through the distributors, especially find a way voices has been good about, uh, with the audiobooks. They've lined up some Apple promos for my audiobooks, So, and that can be a nice little boost from for that so you don't necessarily need someone it's just easier to get on the radar at the other stores um, i don't think amazon 
I don't remember how much I was making before somebody emailed me from Amazon, but you probably got to be in the six figures a year there in sales before you get a rep would be my guess. Uh, obviously, I've spoken in the past about how I had some really good luck on Apple uh, and had some representatives there who helped me out. But even at that time, I was making my most money uh, on Barnes & Noble, back when Barnes & Noble was the basically the second big dog uh, after Amazon. And it was, I mean, it was maybe a third of my total income was coming from Barnes & Noble for a couple of weeks. I just had two really good weeks there, and the, the long tail was absurd. And I, nobody set that up for me. It was just a thing that happened. Um, and so spotlighting and, and merchandising is super nice. But uh, And frankly, you don't even need a crazy successful thing like that. If you just have uh, a moderate-sized and loyal fan base, you can make a comfortable living, uh, you know, it. it it just takes care of itself after you get those, you know, a thousand true fans that we talk about. All right. So the next one is a comment rather than a question. Um, it's from Peter. And he says, I once spent a lot of time in several hundred dollars sending traffic to Kobo thinking I might build some traction over there. Um, imagine my delight when I discovered their site was completely down and all the traffic had gone nowhere. I couldn't believe a major retailer like that would have their whole site down for hours. I couldn't take them seriously after that. At least when I throw traffic at Amazon, I know the site will be there 24 seven. Um, Okay. I, well, I would agree that is very, very frustrating, um, but things like that happen even on Amazon. It doesn't happen as often, but it does happen. I've had my product page for book on Amazon disappear for two days in a row before. And Amazon's algorithms change so frequently that I sometimes find out that Facebook or Amazon ads have been ineffective for potentially a long time. And it's really frustrating. I can hear Mark Dawson being like, Andrea, you need to check on your ads more often. <laughs> but honestly, that doesn't happen very often. And Kobo, I love Kobo. They're fantastic. They're very professional. Right. The whole store going down is going to be a super rare thing. That is actually why Amazon started um, AWS, their own servers, because they were like, we cannot have our store going down. Um, we'll just start our own servers, which is now like the most profitable thing they do in their company, which is kind of hilarious. But um uh, the other thing I was going to say is that, yeah, in vain of things happening in Amazon too, I just saw somebody in the forums, they've had a perma-free for like three years and they got a BookBub ad for it and Amazon unpriced matched it like the day of the ad. And BookBub's like, sorry, we're just not going to be able to send that out for that store. So things can happen at all the things. It is unfortunate when that happens. Yeah, definitely unfortunate. And um, I guess it's more likely that a site that is not Amazon will go down than Amazon. But uh, you'd have to be doing some pretty specific and intense advertising to have hundreds of dollars worth of ad spend hit one site while it's down. Uh, unless you've got like a BookBub or other major promo site directed directly at Kobo and the site went down in the minutes before the email was sent, it seems pretty likely that even a short ad campaign is going to last more than a few hours. And if you manage to spend several hundred dollars in, in just a few hours, um, like that's, it's, that's an alignment of the planets that you, that you, uh, that you experienced because more than a few hours down for a store is going to be ruinous for the store. So I, it, a few hours down for any store is going to be rare. And yeah, what I'm saying is, when it happens to you, it feels like it's 100% of the time, but you just had an amazing event occur. And maybe, you know, you can try this again in the future. Oh, that, that being said, I have very, very rarely directed an entire ad campaign at a single store. Um, 
usually either I'm spreading it across multiple stores or I'm sending it to a series page, which is spreading it across multiple stores. So, uh, yeah. So anyhow, that's, that's where we are on that. Yeah. Uh, that, yeah, that, again, that would really, really suck. It really would. Um, and we've all been there when like our own websites have had problems and things like that, you know, so we try to make sure things are running on our front too. And it's, it's pretty difficult sometimes. Okay. So Jonathan says, what about selling direct or on Kickstarter? Lindsay touched on her Patreon distribution briefly, but part of being wide and non Amazon exclusive is also being able to sell your eBooks on your own website. And, uh, I love selling direct. It's like one of my absolute favorite things. It's been really, really fun. The readers, especially your true fans, like the ones that want to be there for a long time, they love supporting their favorite authors. And they love knowing that you're getting like 99% of the royalties minus taxes and all that, you know, book funnel fees. Um, but I've mentioned in previous episodes, um, how I put together a box set of all the books in, in a single series, plus some bonus material, a couple new stories, et cetera. And then I sell that for about a dollar 50 per book using book funnel. And I have a store. Okay. So I have a store for people to buy from me directly on my website, but it doesn't get enough traffic. And I don't think I've had many downloads that way, but doing one-time events historically, I usually do them once a year during summer has been really, really good for me. Um, selling direct is a great idea if you're wide. A potential con is that the direct sale doesn't contribute to your rankings on any website. But if you're selling enough books direct for that to be a concern, then the 90% plus royalty is more than making up for your loss in, in, uh, in ranking. Um, you talk about Kickstarter. Since Kickstarter is more of an event than an ongoing sales venue, I don't think of it in context of selling wide, but it's certainly an option. Uh, again, you're missing out on ranking and when you sell books this way, and it's much more likely to be an issue in this case because Kickstarters all happen, you know, Kickstarters don't happen at all unless they happen to the level that you set. So you will know better than anyone else whether or not the 500 or 1,000 or however many books you're giving away as part of Kickstarter was going to be a substantial percentage of your sales. But it's certainly going to be, you know, not insubstantial if you actually succeeded in the Kickstarter. So, uh, Basically, I would usually use a Kickstarter, not in the wide context, but sort of like in a paperback or hardcover context, like a physical item is the kind of thing I might use Kickstarter for in this case. Right. Uh, Kickstarter can be good if you're really strapped cash, like you've got maybe a little bit of fan base or just some friends that <laughs> support you possibly, and you're trying to raise money, maybe 1500 to get your cover art and your edit for your first book. Or um, you can certainly do it if you have a fan base and want to launch something, like Joe said, like in a special paper, you know, hardback edition or something like that can be really fun. Uh, as far as just doing it for the release of the book, you have to decide. Like I did one Kickstarter early on and it was worth it for the experience and it did make, I don't know, 5000 or something, which at the time was great. It was, I think, double what I asked for. I was trying to make some money for this to pay for the audiobooks. What I found, though, is that, boy, is it a lot of work. And for me, I could write a another book <laughs> in the effort. And I know how, you know, make, how many figures I make from just writing a book. So, uh, would Kickstarter be like what, you know, for the time it would take out of just working on my regular schedule, would it be worth it? And so far I've met the answer. Eh, I might you know, probably be able to do this eventually. It's on my list of things I want to do, but, um, it hasn't been a priority, but that doesn't mean can't be great for other people. Go, um, check out Dean Wesley Smith. We'll, Chris Kathleen Rush have been doing like a Kickstarter every month or two. Um, so they, they seem to be getting a lot out of it. And I, I think they sell some of their digital courses and stuff too at the same time as they do their fiction. So it ends up being pretty profitable for them. 
So that is something you can look into. And yeah, you can even do it if you're going exclusive with Amazon. You just kickstart the book first, send it out to everybody, and then put it, you know, on Amazon and KU check the box. So um guess that's all I have on that. Oh, also check out all the episodes for selling wide or the two episodes we have with Damon Courtney. He gives lots of um tips for selling direct, I mean. Um, not only does he like talk about how to do it cause he's book funnel, he's a book funnel guy, but he just, he sees what everybody's doing. And so it's great. Check out those episodes. Cause he's like, yeah, this person's doing a full series bundle on their site, you know, making way more than if, uh, people had to buy each of the books individually. And so he's always got some good things that you take these are little spy, you know, what, what are the successful direct sellers doing? Damon, tell us. Uh, so that can certainly be worth it. And that's another thing on my list. I, I want to start doing the old series in bundles on my site and have it be a little bit of a discount from if you bought them all together. But uh, they're not available anywhere else together because Amazon 999 tops out the 70% royalty, not worth it. So something to look forward to. All right, moving on. Uh, Joe, you have the next one. Yes, I do. Uh, Julie says, love the show part one. Lindsay, especially loved your Patreon slash KU slash wide strategy. Uh, Lindsay, also, I'd love to know at what point you decided to start a Patreon to allow non-KU readers to get your books before they go exclusive. I'm not going to answer this for you. <laughs> <laughs> Just feed it up to me, Joe. Uh, so it's been a little over three years now. Uh, I decided to do it after my first series under my name, not under my pen name, went exclusive on Amazon. And people were upset that they didn't get the new releases uh, on the other sites. And this seemed like kind of a reasonable workaround. It's not ideal. A lot of people... I, I just mentioned it in my newsletter for the first time in ages. And lo and behold, a whole bunch of people signed up for it to get my next series. So I was like, oh, maybe I should mention it a little more often and actually promote it. Um, but it, it, you know, it's something you can do, even if you aren't exclusive, you can do the Patreon or if you aren't half and half. Um, super fans would uh, do it to get the books early. You know, the, I've, I had this as early as 12, 2012. I did a like early release with a book that it was like a two-parter story and people were dying to get that next book. And for some reason, I, I think I sent them the unedited copy or something like that. Like they got an early one and then they later got the final one and people would pay, they paid $10 for it. They sent me it on PayPal and I emailed them the EPUB and the Moby file, which is how we rolled back then. But um, your super fans will be willing to pay more to get your book early, especially if you do some bonus stuff with it. I haven't done bonus things yet. I, I think about it, you know, so maybe someday there's a lot of things I would do if I actually slowed down a little bit with the writing and publishing schedule. But then whenever I do that, I find that the thing I most enjoy doing is the writing and publishing. <laughs> so I, I try to resent when I'm not working on that. So it's a, it's a problem, but, um, is that everything? Yeah. But you'll have people who'll pay like 10 or even I've got a couple people paying 25 for each release. So that's kind of a perk if, if you do it, whether you're wide or not. Um, if you have a fan base and they want to support you, even if they just pay the $5, which is the same price as the ebook, you make more on Patreon. You get like 90% and little change. All right. Joe, did you? Yeah, I think we're almost done. Joe has some comments. Yeah, just just like I realized it was directed at Lindsay, but uh, I also have a Patreon, and I got I started my Patreon because of Lindsay. But in my case, uh, whereas I also use it to give my books to my fans early, and the I timed the launch of the Patreon 
for the first series I was going to be putting out that was going to be KU initially. Uh, mostly I've been using it to sell my short stories because I accumulate short stories as just a way to, to uh, clear my mind on weekends or in between projects. So Patreon was very useful for sort of being able to monetize those in a way that's not quite so easy on storefronts. I also have a Patreon, but don't use me in any way as a model of good Patreon um, running this. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's pretty much it for this episode. Do either of you guys have anything you want to add? Nope. I think we managed to keep it to an hour. So thanks for listening, everyone. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, everyone. And thank you to Joshua Pearson for producing the show. You can find the show notes or leave a comment or question at sixfigureauthors.com with the number six. And I seriously should have that memorized by now, but I don't. <laughs> we'll talk to you all later. Bye. Why do you think our intro is written down and the, <laughs> the outro is written down? Don't lie, everybody. <laughs>